welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. It's crazy. Uh, we're, we're in a series called The Rule of Life, and it's on the Ten Commandments. And what's sad to me is growing up when I was your age, and people even in our church, adults, when I talk to them or I mention the Ten Commandments, they, think, they don't think about the Ten Commandments positively. They think about it negatively. It's like, oh no, that's the Old Testament. We don't need that anymore. The Old Testament, that's law. And the New Testament, that's grace. And they kind of disdain the Old Testament. Which is really interesting because every single one of the Ten Commandments is quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Did you know that? Jesus taught the Ten Commandments. In Luke chapter 10, a lawyer, comes, an expert in the law, comes up to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the law. Talking about the Ten Commandments. What does it say? And he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That is commandments one through four. All about worshiping God. You must worship God. You must love God. And then he says, and the second greatest commandment is just like it. It's you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's commandments 5 through 10, which are all about serving God by loving others. And Jesus says to him, he says, you answered correctly, do this or obey this law, obey the Ten Commandments, and you will have eternal life. You will live. (laughs) Jesus taught the Ten Commandments. And those who obey the Ten Commandments will inherit eternal life. But the reason why people don't like the Ten Commandments is because... The Ten Commandments does something that none of us like, and that is that it exposes our sin. It shows us our need, as Scott talked about last week. And so what people don't understand is, what is the purpose then of the law? What is the purpose of the Ten? When I say law, you should think Ten Commandments. So when I say law, you think? Ten Commandments. Okay, when I say Ten Commandments, you think? Law. Okay, same thing. All right, that's when I use those words. Um, So... What is the use or the function? What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments in our lives as believers and non-believers? There's three uses. There's three functions, three purposes, and they all have illustrations to go with it. The first is that the law is a mirror. The law is a mirror that shows us not how great we are, right? Uh, the law is a mirror that shows us our sin. So I just threw up a picture for, of a mirror, right? So when you think of the law, you should think of a mirror. And what does a mirror do in general? Isaiah. It reflects. It, it, reflects. It, it shows you what you look like. When I wake up in the morning and I can't see and I turn on the light and I look in the mirror and I, ah! you know, and I see myself and I, I get scared because I'm like, what is that monster looking back at me? How did Caitlin ever marry that thing? <laughs> 
Uh, you know, it shows me my flaws. It shows me when I have big, a big pimple on my forehead, right? It shows me when I got dirt on my face or when Eden eats her food and she's got it all over her face. The mirror shows her that she's got dirt or food on her face, right? And the law is a mirror that shows us our sin. When we look at the Ten Commandments and we match ourselves up to it, we realize we fall short. So that's the first use. That's why people don't really like the law. But it's so that's actually good news because we would never know to run to Christ unless we first knew of our sin. The second use, the second purpose of the law is that it acts as a restraint in society. It restrains us. So when I think of restraint, I think of these things. You probably see them. You, know. you may be on one during the day. Your parents have you on a leash, right? So... You've been struck by a smooth thing. Yeah. So, yeah, what, what's the other one that I had Eden? The other, yeah, there she is. That's not Eden, I'm just joking. Right? So the law, what, what, what the illustration is, is this. Is that it keeps us from breaking its commands because of threats. So think about this. I was walking Eden the other day. And I saw this pond, and I said, whoa, I would love to fish in that pond. There's got to be some massive catfish in there, or bass, or something. And then there was a sign that says, do not trespass. Trespassers will be prosecuted, right? And then I'm like, oh no, I don't want to go over there, right? So it acts as a, it restrained me, the law, the sign, restrained me from trespassing, because I don't want to be prosecuted. Well, in the same way, the law does that by our consciences, when you know what is right, and you're like, I know I shouldn't do this, right? It's restraining you from doing it. Third, the third use of the law is the most important use of the law, and it only applies to Christians. And that is that the law of God is our guide. It shows us what is pleasing to God. So I love maps, right? This is the map of Rohan in, in Lord of the Rings, if you ever read the book, right? So the illustration is this. The law of God is like a map. It shows us what is pleasing to God. It shows us where to go. Go to the next one. Right? Okay, so in the Pilgrim's Progress, I'm pretty sure that is help, or it could be evangelist, but he's pointing Christian where to go. And that's exactly what the law of God teaches us. It shows us what is pleasing to God. The law of God, the Ten Commandments, is God's love language. So when God says, hey, this is how you could love me, here are the Ten Commandments. And you're like, whoa. I love God. As a Christian, he gave his son for me. He died for me. Of course, I want to love him in return. And that's where the Ten Commandments are really important for the Christian life. So tonight we're going to dive into the second commandment. Question, what would you say to someone who came up to you and said, how does God want to be worshipped? It's a rhetorical question. How does God want to be worshipped? Is there specific ways that he wants to be worshipped? Or am I free to worship him however I want? Like if I make a picture of God and I worship him that way, in my mind it's God. You know, am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to make a statue of what I think looks like God and bow down and worship to it? Even if I'm sincere, you know, if my heart is in good way, does God care about how we worship? When was, the thought, when was the last time you thought to yourself, do I worship God according to my own preferences or according to God's word? What is worship? 
And I think we get so used to going through the motions when it comes to worship that we don't even stop to consider whether we are actually worshiping according to God's will. And so if the first commandment was all about who we worship, you shall have no other gods before me. It was about the object of our worship, God, and it was warning us from worshiping false gods or the wrong God. The second commandment tonight is a commandment that is warning us against worshiping God in the wrong way. See, God cares very deeply about how he is worshipped. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the sovereign Lord, the covenant God, and he gets to dictate how he wants to be worshipped. And so the second commandment is all about how we are to worship God. And it's a warning against worshipping in the ways that we think are best. And what's interesting is that The way that we worship God demonstrates what we believe about God. Does that make sense? We become what we worship. We worship according to what we believe about God. And so if during worship service, there's an awesome song declaring about all the attributes of God, and I'm just standing there like this. You know, what does that tell you about what I think about God? Probably that God is not that great, not, not greater than my favorite basketball team, that when they score, I'm like, yeah, woo! Wow, I'm breaking the speaker, sorry. Did I just, oh, there we go, so it works. We go crazy, right, for our favorite teams, but then worshiping God. You know, so the idea is that how we worship shows us what God is like. And what the Ten Commandments want to reorient us to is to worship God for who he is and as he is. And so what is the second commandment about? Let's read it, okay? Let's read it. So Exodus chapter 20, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6, and we're going to look at the commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, I have saved you. I have redeemed you. I've saved you by my grace. I've brought you out of slavery. Look at all that I've done for you. Therefore, in light of that, because I love you, you shall have no other gods before me. It's commandment one. And then tonight, our commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, and here's the, the reason why we should do that or not do that, is because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. What is the second commandment about? Point number one, it's telling us to destroy our self-willed worship. Destroy your self-willed worship. That's what God is concerned about. Self-willed. That means my way or the highway. I'm going to worship God how I want to worship God. Destroy self-willed worship. God hates self-willed worship. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. And so two little things that we are forbidden from doing, it says that we are not to make images to represent God in any form. God is spirit. He doesn't have form. 
And so when we make a carved image or an image or draw a picture of what we think God is like, that is a figment of our own imagination, right? It is not, doesn't represent who God is and God doesn't want to be represented by any images or carved images or any things that we create. We are not to worship images of any kind. So self-willed worship is worshiping God as we choose rather than he demands. So it's like me saying to my wife, um, instead of loving you in the way that you want to be loved, we just took like this, this little test about, I think it was like the five love language. I don't even, I'm not a big fan of that book, but anyways, it was interesting. And she's, she's a words of affirmation person. And so what that means is she loves encouragement. And she always tells me, you know what makes me feel loved is when you write me letters, when you, when you encourage me. But I, the thing that I love is I love acts of service. And so instead of loving Caitlin by giving her words of affirmation, I think it's best for, for her to, to do acts of service for now she would like that. But the point is, is that I'm seeking to love her in the way that I would want to be loved rather than how she wants to be loved. And you know what? That's exasperating <laughs> for her. It's like you going up to your coach, self-willed basketball playing. Right? What is self-willed worship? Here's an illustration of it. It's like you going up to your coach saying, look, coach, I appreciate your game plan and everything that you taught me, but I just feel like playing my way. And your coach is going to look you in the eyes and he's going to pat you on the head and he says, oh, that's great. You could sit the bench. There you go. I have a seat for you right here. You're not playing, right? That is an illustration of what self-willed worship is. It's like, God, I know what you've said, but you know what? I'm going to worship the way that I feel is best to worship God. Self-willed worship is ultimately a rejection of God's authority. And at the heart of making images to represent God and to worship them is a desire to worship in a way that you feel is best rather than what God demands. And so that's what the second commandment is all about. And ever since the fall, ever since Adam and Eve, there has been this plague called idolatry of self-willed worship that instead of doing what God has commanded, man has said, no, I'm going to worship God how I want to worship. And one of the prime examples of this is Exodus 32. Exodus 32. God had just saved his people. This comes right after Exodus 20 here. And he gives them his law. He gave them the Ten Commandments to follow. And they say, we will do what you have commanded, Lord. And right after God gives them the Ten Commandments, right after he saves them, they do something horrific in Exodus 32. I hear some pages turning there. So I will read it. It says, verse 1, what did the people do? When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, he was up there receiving the the law, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods, Aaron, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who you brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold that are on your ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf, a cow, Chick-fil-A cow right here in Exodus 32. And they said, they said this, this is really key. Aaron said this to the people. 
These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. (laughs) Wow. What happened? They were worshiping the right God. They said, these are the gods that brought us out of the Egypt. They recognized God, but they were worshiping God in the wrong way. They fashioned a graven image, a golden cow, and they started making sacrifices to it. They made what they thought represented God, a cow. Like they couldn't have picked a lion, at least a cow. How blasphemous. Right after God had saved them, they were worshiping the wrong way. And what did God do? (laughs) He was furious. He was furious with them. In fact, because of their grumbling and their idolatry, God wiped out the whole first generation that he saved out of Egypt. They died because of their sin. This is self-willed worship. Another example of this, I believe, is in Numbers Aaron's two sons, Nahab and Abihu, they were called to bring sacrifices to the Lord. But what the Bible says is that they offered strange fire to the Lord. They they offered unauthorized worship. And you know what God did? Brought fire from heaven and consumed them on the spot because they did not worship God the way that he wanted to be worshiped. That's right. They died. God is serious. Now you're like, I don't have figurines. I don't have carved images. I would never do something like that. I would never bow down to a cow. But John Calvin says this. He makes this observation. He says, the hearts of man, mankind are a factory of idols. Our hearts are always fashioning imaginary idols, whether that's sports or, or a love of, of a person or affirmation. It could be anything we could make an idol in our heart. Uh, Michael Horton says this, the human heart not only wants to worship false gods, it consistently seeks to invent new ways of worship, even when worshiping the triune God of biblical revelation. Our hearts are always prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We're prone to worship God in the way we feel is best rather than how God wants to be worshiped. So why must we destroy self-willed worship? Because number two, God alone directs our worship. God alone directs our worship. He says this, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And what that means, it does not mean this. It doesn't mean that if your father sins, his sin is passed down to the children. What it means is that when your parents or an older generation worship God, worships God the wrong way, their children pick up on the same exact thing. And so their bad forms of worship are passed down to the next generation. And then the children repeat the same folly. And what happens is that God is a just God and he will execute his justice on those who commit idolatry. See, God alone is to be the one who directs our worship. It's just like the other day, last week, it was my wife's birthday, March 16th. She's 26 years old. She's closer to 30 than she is to 20. She's getting older, which is sad. But she is still the wife of my youth. Did you know that? 
Bible says that. And uh, I love her, but it's, it was her birthday. And what if I did this? I said, honey, what do you want for your birthday? Right? And she gives me all these things. I want you to take me to Hawaii on a cruise. I want you to, you know, just let's go to Disneyland. Let's take Eden on Splash Mountain, see if she loves it. She probably won't be tall enough for that, right? Let's go on these whole trips. I'm like, and I had, let's just say I had the means to actually do all that stuff, right? But instead I'm like, instead of your birthday, instead of that for your birthday, why don't we go to a shooting range and go to Cabela's? That sounds so much better, actually. So happy birthday, Caitlin. We're going down to Schaumburg. We're going to Cabela's. I'm going to buy a couple guns, and we're going to go shooting. Happy birthday. You'd be like, JT, you're not loving your wife, man. It's her birthday. She gets to choose what she wants to do. And now it's like not even a birthday. It's like a birthday week, right? So you got to celebrate all week. Sooner or later, it's going to be a whole birthday month now, and then a birthday year. Where does it end? I don't know. The point is that Caitlin gets to choose what she wants to do on her birthday. In the same way, God gets to choose how he wants to be worshipped. Why? Because he is the free one. He is free. To represent God by image, by an image, is to undermine that freedom. It's to put God, who cannot be located in, in a specific area, and to put him in a figurine and say, this is God. He's limited. He can't talk. He can't speak. He can't respond to us. He can't sing. And he's limited to that location, right? In fact, in order for God to move, I have to pick up my carved image and I have to move God. So who's really in control then? Me. It makes no sense. If you go to the eastern countries, it's really sad. You see all these idols and they bow down and all these idols are made with wood. The same wood that they make their bathrooms out of, their toilets out of. So the same tree that they cut down to make their toilet is the same wood that they use to make a golden image. They platinum with gold. And that's exactly the same illustration Isaiah gives in, I, in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah. God is free. God alone directs our worship. And God is jealous in the sense that God loves his people and desires their affection and obedience. It would be right for me to be jealous if, of, of, you know, if I saw my wife, God forbid, and she would never do this, Flirting with someone else, right? I would be rightfully jealous because she is rightfully mine. And she is giving to someone else what is rightfully mine. And so in that sense, I would be righteously jealous. Well, God in a much greater sense, in a sense that he is never sinfully jealous at all, is that he created us for his worship. And so when he sees the worship that he deserves go to something else, scary. God is not to be trifled with. He alone is to direct our worship. So how are we to worship God? This is the last point. We are to worship only and purely according to God's word. We are to worship only according to God's word, and we are to worship purely with a pure heart. We're to protect the worship of God. Now there are two different types of people here. So we're to worship only and purely according to God's word. So good thing God told us how he wants to be worshipped in his word. Praise the Lord. There are two different types of people in this room tonight when it comes to instructions. Right? If you're, maybe your teacher, maybe it's your mom, gives you instructions for a project. right? Or maybe it's building something or you're writing a paper. 
And so you have to ask yourself, which are you? There are those of you in this room who will do only what is required. Like, my, the teacher has to give you every little detail. You need every little detail, and you will not deviate from what the teacher says. You will follow the rules perfectly and strictly, okay? You won't go outside of the box. There are those of you, you're the rule followers, right? And then there are those of you who will only do what is not forbidden. So it's like if the teacher didn't say I can do that or can't do that, then I'm going to do it because she didn't say I can't do it, right? And so I'm going to go outside of the instruction. Well, she didn't say, she didn't give me instructions, so I could kind of write or do whatever I want with this project. Some of you are like, well, what if the teacher doesn't want me to do that? Oh, no, I'm going to get a bad grade. And other of you are like, she didn't say, so who cares? We'll see what happens, right? I'm totally of that camp, right? Who cares, right? Who cares? Well, when it comes to worship in the church specifically, we see that all throughout Scripture, God is very specific in how he is to be worshipped, which means the way we are to worship God is and must be regulated only to what he says in his word. We must not go outside of his word because the word of God is his inspired word. It is his sufficient word. It is sufficient for worship. And so Derek Thomas, he's a pastor theologian, he lists what God requires of worship in his word. So let me just ask you, what do you think God requires of his word and how we are to worship him? What are some things that God tells us how he wants to be worshipped on a Sunday morning, let's just say. Anyone? Want to guess? Isaiah? Isaiah? He wants to be worshipped with praise. With praise. Did you say praise? You say praise? Yeah. Okay, so singing. That's right. We're com- yeah, so we're commanded to sing. What else? What else does God command us to do on a Sunday morning? Yeah, Isaiah? Uh, to worship him with every instrument we have. Yeah, we could use instruments for sure. Yeah, that's in the Psalms. What else? Yep. To take time to meditate on his word. Okay, yeah, so the hearing of God's word for the word of God to be preached, right? That's very clear. So the word of God should be read, should be preached. So read and preached, two different things. What else? What? Reading. Yeah, we are called to read. Yeah, the reading of God's word needs to happen. What else? We're missing some other things. That's about the attitude of worship. Not, you're right. You're totally right. Yep. Prayer. Prayer, that's right. My house is a house of? Prayer, that's right. Good job. So anything else that God commands in his word? Isaiah? Communion. Communion, that's right. Good job. The ordinances, the Lord's Supper. And what's the other one? We just talked about baptism. That's right. So God has given us specific commands. And let me just give you this list. Particular elements of worship are highlighted in scripture. Reading the Bible, 1 Timothy 4.13. Preaching the Bible, 2 Timothy 4.2. Singing the Bible, Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16. The Psalms as well as scripture songs that reflect the development of redemptive history, right? Uh, Prayer, seeing the Bible and the two sacraments of the church, that is baptism and the Lord's Supper. Church discipline is to happen in the church. In addition, elements such as taking oaths or vows or fasting, thanksgiving or generosity, God is commanded in his word. But anything outside of that is prohibited. So the second commandment requires this of us, that any worship outside of the bounds of scripture is idolatry. And so if we are in church and Pastor John 
gets a little figurine of Mary and says, Hey, church, I want you to pray to Mary. What would you say? No! <laughs> right? No, because that would be going outside of what Scripture teaches, right? The Scripture doesn't call us to do that, okay? Right? And so if you're in a church and the pastor says, hey, instead of a sermon, we're going to watch a movie, all right? And it's a Christian movie. What are you going to say? No, we're not going to, because that's not commanded in Scripture, God cares very deeply about how he is worshipped. Should not we care deeply about how we worship him? We need to worship according to God's word, but we also need to worship with a pure heart, from a pure heart. Edward Fisher describes, he's a theologian, he describes a conversation between a pastor and a man who believed he was really close to keeping the second command. And he stated this, he says, For I constantly perform most of the duties, and I'm not guilty of doing the contrary. That's what the man said. To which the pastor responds, You must know that to worship God purely and rightly is not only doing what is required in the law, but avoiding what is evil, and avoiding what is evil, but also to obey with the right motivation, the right heart, to acknowledge Him alone to be the true God, to desire to give Him worship, to obey out of love for Him. And so I have to ask you the question, is that true of your worship? Do you worship out of a love and gratitude for what God has done for you? What is your aim in worship? So the law is a mirror. And this command strikes a dagger through the prideful heart. We've all broken this command. If you think that you've obeyed this command and that you're the only one that has worshipped with a pure heart, think again. Ask yourself these questions. Have you ever gone to church to receive the word of God, worship and take part in communion because the law requires it? Or because your parents made you? Or because it's simply routine? Have you ever been zealous in prayer in the presence of others to sound more holy and to gain their approval and praise? Isn't that trying to earn, make yourself look larger in their eyes? To worship only, uh, to worship only when your preferences are met, like if you don't like the song or you don't like the sound, you're putting your own preferences above God. Have you ever messed around and been distracting during worship? Right? Have you ever raised your hands in worship simply because others are or to gain attention? Have you ever looked down upon someone else because they don't seem to worship like you? Like you're the standard of worship. Have you ever worshiped or read your Bible or prayed in order to prevent or remove some judgment from you or to grant some good things to yourself? In these ways, we're approaching the worship of God, not from a pure heart. We've all broken this commandment. Do any of these things honor and worship God? No, they don't. And so we have broken this command. And what does it say in the text? It says in, in, in verse 4, it says, For I am the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
There is penal, there's a penalty for breaking God's law. And the wages of sin is death. And so what are we to do? Is there any hope for us idolaters? Is there any hope for us who do not worship with a pure heart? And I would say there is. And there's only one way of obeying this command. There's only one way that you could be seen as perfectly obedient to the Ten Commandments. There's only one way. And that is if you worship God by running to Christ by Jesus' faith, uh, by Jesus Christ, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, Jesus' perfect record, his perfect righteousness covers you. This is why we don't need to make idols or icons. Why? Or images. Because of this. Listen to this verse. Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We don't need to make images because Jesus Christ is the image of God to us who we are to worship. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that everything in him might he that he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross see we don't need pictures of jesus we don't need images of jesus we don't need to make or fashion images of god Why? Because we have the image. We have the icon who lived, died, and was buried and rose again from the dead to take away your sins. And his name is Jesus Christ. And in fact, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you know what the Holy Spirit does? He indwells you and then he empowers you and conforms you into the image of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? We don't need to make images because we were made in the image of God. But because of sin, we're sinners, we're fallen. Someone needed to restore our fallen state. And that was Jesus Christ. And he comes and he pays the penalty on the cross. He becomes the idolater on the cross so that you can become, a God, can become God's child. And this is the good news of the gospel. So look at me, students. Do you know God? And do you worship him the way that he wants to be worshipped? How does God want to be worshipped? He wants you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to come to him, to repent of your sins, first and foremost, to trust in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. And then in response, because he has saved you by grace, Now you're going to show up on a Wednesday night or Sunday and you can worship with reverence and awe, with thanksgiving. Not out of pure pressure because people are watching, but because the God of the universe is watching, watching and he cares. And yes, though our worship is tainted with sin, we know that the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. That doesn't mean we can mess around. It means that we worship all the more because we love him. And because we love him and we care deeply about the worship of God, we want to guard it and keep it pure. We want to guard and keep pure the worship of God in the church. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
That's your worship of God. To become a living sacrifice. Not to earn salvation, but because He has saved you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this command. I know that you care deeply about how you are worshipped, and I pray these students would as well. I pray that they would be examples to the high schoolers of how to worship with all their heart. Not to earn favor with you. We can't earn favor with you. Not to earn salvation, but because you have saved us. God, this is your love language. You want to be worshipped according to your word. So I pray that we would be diligent to obey your law and to care deeply about honoring you. Worship isn't only, God, when we come before you and sing songs, but I pray that these students would live a life of worship, every day living before you, praising you in their heart, praising you in their actions. God, may we present our lives as a living sacrifice to you, for this is your spiritual worship. Amen.